Good morning to uh, everyone, or good afternoon, depending uh, from where you're logging in. Uh, Nicolas Bornos of Capital Inc. I would like to welcome you to the third day of our um, New York Maritime Forum. Uh, this is the first panel of the day, uh, right after the opening keynote remarks of the Lieutenant Governor of the State uh, of New York. Uh, and we are starting with the LPG sector panel. Uh, I'm delighted that uh, uh, we have with us uh, industry leaders from all over the world. Uh, actually, the digital um, feature of our event allows us to have uh, people from different locations. So I'm delighted to have with us uh, Anders, uh, Charles, and Ted. Uh, thank you for joining. And I will turn the floor over to Greg Vasikovsky of uh, Weber Research to moderate. Thank you again very much for your participation. All right. Thank you very much, Nicholas. Good morning, everyone. Or like you said, good afternoon if you're in Europe. Um, my name is Greg Wasikowski, Associate Partner at Weber Research and Advisory in New York City. Uh, I will be your moderator for the duration of the session. It'll go to approximately 9.40 a.m. Eastern Time. With me today are three outstanding panelists, uh, each with more experience in their pinky nails than I have in my whole body. Um, but in all seriousness, it, it is truly my pleasure to introduce today's panelists. First, we have uh, Mr. Anders Onerheim, CEO of BWLPG. We have Ted Young, CFO of Dorian LPG. And finally, Charles Malthy, CEO of BW Epic or BWEC. Uh, we're going to get things going in a moment. But before we do, uh, let's have the panelists give a brief overview of their companies, their background, their fleets, etc. Uh, Anders, let's start with you, and then Ted and Charles, you can follow. Uh, take it away, guys, and, and keep it you know 30 seconds to a minute or less if you can. Thank you, Greg. Good morning in New York. Um, I have been the CEO since December 2019, so uh, not that long, Greg, uh, but I've also been on the board director since the listing in 2013, and I've known the company for many years before that. Uh, BWLPG, we're the world's largest owner and operator of VLGCs. We have 42 ships on water at the moment. Uh, we're a return-focused company, and we try to be counter-cyclical in our investment approach. Uh, today, we have 10 ships on water with the you know, latest technology, the dual-fuel LPG engines, and we have, uh, we have five more coming on stream soon. So with that, I will leave it uh, to you, Ted. Thanks, Anders. Uh, Ted Young, CFO of Dorian LPG. I've uh, been uh, with the company, uh, well, Dorian LPG for uh, a little over eight years now. Uh, we are New York Stock Exchange listed, uh, went public in May of 2014. We currently have uh, 22 vessels uh, on the water. 21 of them are ones we own. Uh, one is chartered in. We uh, we just sold one of our vessels uh, at a firm price, obviously uh, are committed to returning capital and, and, and optimizing our fleet as we see fit. Uh, from a technology perspective, we uh, have scrubbers on 12 of our vessels and we're, I think Greg's gonna get into that a bit later, but uh, an investment I'd say generally we've been pretty happy with uh, thus far, uh, both financially and environmentally. Um, and uh, that's it. Thanks, guys. So I'm Charles. I'm the CEO of BW Epic Cosant. Uh, we're the owners and operators, and I'm going to use the same phrase, the world's largest fleet of LPG and speciality gas carriers. 
with a fleet of 77 vessels of up to 12,000 cubic meter. So uh, the twist there is that the ships are smaller than the fleet of uh, my colleagues here today um, at, at Dorian and uh, BWLPG in size. But we have 77 of those vessels on the water. Um, we're trading primarily in delivery of LPG over the last mile uh, for use as cleaner energy in the uh, residential and uh, domestic uh, sectors for heating and cooking gas, that kind of thing. And also for LPG as a marine fuel. Uh, but we're also involved in the movement of speciality gases such as propylene, ethylene, crude C4, BCM. Um, a number of our vessels can also carry ammonia and or be modified to carriage of CO2. Uh, the ships trade globally, um, often for oil majors and large multinational companies. Um, we're headquartered in Singapore and listed in Oslo. Thank you. All right, perfect. Thank you guys for those for those intros. Uh, the format today will be pretty similar to the other panels from the conference. Um, I thought about making it into a Jeopardy style game without telling any of you guys, but ultimately decided against it, uh, probably for the best. Um, now, I, I will be proposing some questions and some talking points and really just allowing our panelists to enlighten us with their knowledge and wisdom on the matters. Um, so let's let's jump right in. And Anders, let's start with you. And then we can go to Ted and Charles. You can weigh in after Anders answer. Uh, let everybody uh, get a chance to touch on each topic. So let's start a high level and talk about global trade. Um, obviously, very topical right now. Uh, it seems like everybody across all industries is really dealing with crowded ports, supply chain constraints, higher input costs, you name it. Um, so how has the friction in global trade, particularly in what we're seeing in the container ship market, ultimately affected the LPG market? You know, anything from traffic in canals and ports to you know, material shortages, complicating dry docks, repairs, new builds, et cetera. What have you guys been dealing with and what are you seeing now? Well, I think uh, for us at LPG, uh, early this year, we saw, you know, quite great inefficiencies, you know, mainly, mainly due to the Panama Canal, but also, also uh, dry dockings. You know, we had rates uh, in excess of $100,000. So, so at that time, we, we, we saw the real effect of a special Panama Canal. Um, today, we're still seeing inefficiencies and we're still seeing, you know, uh, delays. We're having still problems with the crew changes and so forth, but but we're not having the same issues in the Panama Canal that we had. Uh, and I think when it comes to really the the con con container ships, I think we're seeing more of the uh, you know congestion really both in the Far East and also perhaps off the coast of California. So so today uh, the Panama Canal, and which is of course affecting us the most, is is not really that big of an issue. So, 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 uh, uh, but again, uh, I think, I think uh, that's, that could change quite quickly. And obviously for us also, I think on the, let's call it this energy crunch we're seeing and also the, the, the transport friction, you know, even though, even though uh, there's great demand, underlying demand and, and, and good supplies and so forth, we are also affected by the high prices. And, and given the high prices and the low inventories, we're not getting, of course, the, the rates that we would like to see. And so I think that's where that's where we are sort of feeling the the the, the pain right now. Uh, obviously, we think we think things could change. We think again, you will see more congestion in the Panama Canal and so forth. But uh, but I think the answer is that uh, we are not we're not so much feeling the pain uh, given the, from the container container ships. Uh, okay, thank you. And then and Ted, would you like to uh, weigh in on what Dorian is seeing? 
Yeah, I think um, not surprisingly, pretty much identical to what Anders said. Um, you know, I'd say, uh, it, you know, like all of us, we, when you have uh, various chats with people, they say, oh, I've read all about what's happening in California. Well, um, as our panelists know, but maybe the broader audience doesn't know, uh, there are no VLGC ports in California. So uh, we're not disporting there. Uh, and thus far, the only place on the West, well, there's two places on the West Coast, one in Canada and one in Washington. And as far as I know, we haven't really seen any delays there. But, um, you know, look, I think it's from an industry perspective, Anders rightly pointed it out. Uh, crew changes continue to be a hassle. Uh, and I think all of us know that uh, our seafarers all suffered quite a bit during this uh, crisis. And uh, it's been underappreciated by the broader world. I think our industry has done a decent job, but uh, I really hope that if somebody's listening to this panel, they will help us uh, alleviate some of the crew changes. We're, we're all back down to, I think, probably to normal levels, but still we've got guys and women who are missing important events at home because ports randomly change uh, uh, entry requirements. And so we'd really like to see that alleviated. We can help these, these folks. Okay, great. And Charles? Yeah, hi guys. I think I just cut out there, apologies. Um, on the uh, smaller ships, yeah, I mean, I think um, Ted, I missed a few seconds of what you said, but I think um, you've probably covered the cost side. On the revenue side, we've seen a number of themes because of the, uh, the sort of disruption of the last couple of, of last year. Um, the ultimate end user demand for LPG gas for, for the gas that we're carrying, which is for the heating and cooking residential use, has been quite robust um, because it's been a sort of stay at home environment with people encouraged to stay at home and use gas and government subsidies and so on for that. Um, but the source of the supply has been the volatile side. You know, where's it been coming from? And there's obviously been some disruptions on US Gulf exports earlier on in the year. Um, pricing as well. And then in Europe, for instance, where refined gas is the main source, uh, there's been reduced refinery run rates, which has reduced the source of the gas from there. So we've seen quite a volatile time on where the gas has been coming from. And that's been leading us to have to you know, reallocate ships in, into different marketplaces and so on. But ultimately, uh, demand has been strong, supply has been stabilizing, and the peaks and troughs in those regional demands have gradually been becoming less and less. And we've been building back up to a steady steady state great okay well that's actually a, a really good segue into our next topic uh, i want to talk about exports and ultimately ngl supply so charles let's start with you and uh, talk about the u.s uh, you know u.s exports have accounted for almost half of global seaborne trade at least halfway through the year how has that trended since the end of Q2 and why, and then how do you expect it to continue trending through the end of the year and into 2022? Yeah, so, I mean, if we just look at the global LPG seaborne trade briefly, they're expected to increase by about 5% this year, um, up to um, around about um, 110, 111 million tons. And then the US exports have been increasing at a higher rate than 5% throughout the year, and we expect that to continue. So we're seeing the US capturing global share of the US, oh, sorry, of the global seaborne trade. And um, we think that will continue through 2022 and 2023. There will be growth in markets from um, say the Middle East, uh, but we don't think it'll be as material as uh, the volumes coming out of North America. Okay, and, and Ted and Anders, anything you wanna to add to that to the US before we move on to the Middle East? 
Yeah, I can add. I, I think it's. Uh, I think it is important what Charles is saying, and I think also we see we see the capacity being built. So, so I think again the supply from the U.S. is not going to be an issue. Of course, we we don't want another extreme uh, cold winter as we had, you know, last year. That will certainly, you know, again uh, make it more difficult for us. But but I think overall, I think we're you know we're quite we're quite optimistic about the volumes from the U.S. Yeah, it's, I'd say I, I agree with all that. I think the one the big question mark that I think we all have is uh, inventory levels in the U.S. are probably lower than any of us would like. Uh, so, you know, and I think we share everybody's optimism. Um, you know, the, the, the U.S. has historically been very responsive to world uh, needs and world demand. So uh, we'd expect, uh, like everyone else, that those inventories will increase. There'll be plenty of uh, export volumes as well as Drive to meet U.S. demand, but it is a little bit of a question mark right now. It's only, it's only fair to say. Right. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the Middle East and let's stay with you, Ted. So, how does the recovery there ultimately affect ton mile demand? You know, is it is it all incremental as OPEC pairs back some of its production cuts, or does it kind of take away from some of the longer haul trades out of the U.S. Gulf? Um. You know, I guess it, it, it's a, it, it, in the near term, um, you know, it, 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 it could theoretically take away a little bit, but I don't, I don't actually think that'll happen in practice because, um, you know, A, some of the supply chain disruptions we've been talking about have just created inefficiency across the supply chain. Um, and so that's lengthened the fleet some. I, and I think over time, what we've historically seen is that, um, you know, that incremental ton of LPG gets sold. Uh, typically, we expect to see that in the in the pet chem markets. Uh, that's obviously dependent on on naphtha price movements. Um, but you know, and 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 uh, as as oil stays high, um, you know that affects. Uh, even though that sort of has a, a bit of a negative effect on the LPG naphtha arb, um, over time it does put pressure on the uh, on the on the naphtha or sorry on the propylene margins from the steam crackers, and so that will open the door for PDH guys to make more money, which in turn, with in the, which would increase LPG exports. So it's kind of a long-winded way of saying that you know I think over over the medium term, probably even over the short term, it's all it's all incremental. It's all good news. Okay. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. Anders or Charles, anything you want to add to that answer? Uh, I, I would just say it's, it's all increasing the increasing supply of product. It, it's not supplementary, so it's all positive. Yeah. It's all extra miles to move. And from a smaller ship point of view, you know, we're seeing good growth out of um, Iraq and Iman, where you're looking at 40, 50 to even 100% growth year on year in export volumes. And that's all good uh, incremental demand for the vessels in our sector. I agree with that. I think, again, the underlying demand is quite quite good. So so uh, I think uh, and I think we, we expect, uh, you know, a slight pickup in volumes in the Middle East. I think it's going to be too hard to... to uh, be disciplined uh, with the oil prices and gas prices where they are. Right. Okay. Um, one more question on exports, and this is maybe kind of a, an off the wall question, but uh, just thinking about the kind of weather and the storms that we've seen in the U.S. Gulf, um, both cold and hurricane related. Um, you know, maybe not as much an increase in frequency, but certainly it seems like you know the, the power and ultimate level of disruption has has increased. Can you walk us through how you guys prepare for hurricane hurricane season? Um, if, if there's anything at all that you do in terms of positioning uh, and give us an update on where LPG export infrastructure in the Gulf stands right now. This is, this is for anybody. Um, 
I'd say, uh, uh, you know, I mean, LPG infrastructure in the Gulf, um, you know, generally pretty fine. I won't say it was completely unaffected, but, um, you know, everything's pretty much back up and running. I mean, these are world-class operators, um, right. not their first time. Um, you know, oper uh, they keep me pretty far away from maritime operations with good reason, but, um, as it, 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 you know, I do follow it. And, you know, look, I think, uh, I think with all the um, early warning systems and everything else, um, you know, you're able to you're able to position your ships, um, you know, uh, safely out of harm's way. Um, you know, either you delay you delay arrival in sort of the, the danger zone, um, or you hustle your way out, or you find a safe a safe a safe a safe place to to, to anchor, typically way offshore. Um, but uh, you know, sometimes there's inlets and whatnot. But uh, Charles or uh, or Rogers may have a better answer than that. No, I think I think that's very true. I think actually. Uh... You're actually right. I think uh, if we if if we uh, if we if our business dries up, we can I think we can join you know as a weather forecaster you know, on TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well said. Okay, um, great. So let's let's move on to uh, let's talk about vessel supply, Anders. Let's let's start with you and talk about the order book. Uh, you know, if you if you look at it right now, the VLGC order book, you know, there's substantial deliveries slotted for 2023. It, simple question, really, is this is this a, a classic example of shipping markets in general and, you know, with the tendency to overorder after a solid year of earnings or is there something else at play there? Well, I wish I could just say that this time is different. Um, I've heard that many times before, both uh, while I've been in the business and before. Uh, it, it's I think I think the order book, it is challenging. You know, it's what around 28% right now. It is a challenge. It's clear that we we need a healthy market to absorb this, uh, you know, the new capacity. Uh, at the same time, I think many of the new bills we're seeing they are a function of preparing for you know for new new regulations coming, and and I think so 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 that, that that's quite understandable. Uh, I think you know perhaps we also at BWLPG, given you know that our commitment to to retrofitting 15 of our ships and starting this process, I think that's also it probably stimulated some of our colleagues and creditors to 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 uh, you know to also want to make sure they they at least have some exposure to the latest technology. So uh, so uh, uh, yes, I'm I I am concerned, and I'm concerned certainly if 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 it continues to grow. Uh, at the same time, uh, we also and at BWLPG we're normally very conservative about uh, scrapping, but of course we are getting to a point now where we are there are a lot of old ships out there, and and although there are some alternative uses. Uh, uh, I expect that we will see some some uh, some ship owners being forced to make some decisions over the next year or two. Okay, Ted, anything to add? Yeah, I'd, um, I I just add a couple of data points. I you know nobody likes to see uh, an increase in order book. Fortunately, this order book is a lot less than we were at the peak in you know 2014 2015. Um, but I, uh, I Anders is 100% right about the. Uh, potential impact of environmental regulations. So EEXI kicks in in January 2023. And, you know, the global fleet is all going to have to slow down from, you know, one knot, two knots, three knots, whatever it's going to be, but it will increase some length in the fleet. And then um, on top of that, um, on, on top of that, uh, as, as he points out, the age of the fleet, I think there are 30 ships over 25 years of age right now, another 17, let's call it, that are between 20 and 25, and so they aren't really in the markets. They, they aren't. They aren't necessarily in the addressable market that that 
Dorian and BW or, or you know any of the owners of more modern tonnage typically face, but you need to be mindful of it. Um, but we would expect to see some of those vessels scrapped. And remember, um, environmental regulations are only getting more stringent. So capital investments can become a bigger issue. Those older ships are smaller, uh, cubic carrying capacity and, and less fuel efficient. So there is good economic reason to expect to see uh, hopefully some, you know, some scrapping. Again, you can never count on it. Um, but but uh, I think we, we share uh, our colleagues view with BW that, that we do expect to see some. Um, you know, and I, and, I, and I guess in terms of, you know, the, the market growth, um, you know, we understand that uh, the, 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 the projects on the books right now for PDH in China alone um, are about are going to incremental demand of 18 million metric tons. So, you know, sort of on the rough math that it, it takes for four uh, VLGCs to move a million metric tons, that's 72 VLGCs, which is roughly the current order book. Now, that, that, that demand won't be fully ramped until 2025. Uh, but there is, there continues to be good organic growth in in uh, LPG globally because of its wonderful environmental properties. So, you know, uh, as Anders said, I'd love to say this time is different. Um, you know, it it, it may, it, it, I, I hope it won't be as uh, as rough on the downside as we've as we've seen uh, because there are some mitigants. But uh, you know, nobody likes a 25% order book. Right. Uh, but Greg, I'm not going to give up, uh, you know, uh, encouraging, you know, my colleagues to to uh, retrofit rather than uh, rather than build new. I still think <laughs> it's a great, it's a great, it's a great way to do it. It's a, both from a carbon footprint point of view and a cost point of view. So uh, I'll uh, I'll continue to to uh, to uh, you know uh, give that message. Well said. Well said, um, Charles. Any any comments on uh, on the order book before we move on? Yeah, sure. I mean, on the smaller sector, we've got about one to two percent fleet growth in the next few each of the next few years. So it's a lot less than the, the larger vessels and uh, scrapping. There's a scrapping pool of about 23, 24 ships over the age of 30. The smaller ships tend to last to about 30. Uh, and as as Ted said, you don't necessarily compete with those 23 ships day to day. So they're not necessarily in your market already. But when they go, they get replaced by ships that are in your marketplace now because people scrap those ships and then they buy the younger, slightly younger ships. And so it's all positive if those ships are scrapped and, and they will be scrapped. You know, we are seeing them going, even though rates are higher, asset prices are moving up, the older ships are still getting scrapped. So I, I think um, that's heading in, in the right direction. And then when it comes to, you know, what type of ship do you order in the future? I'm sure you've already discussed the technical specifications are slowing everybody down and then the pricing is only going up. Right. Okay. So uh, along those lines, let's talk about um, a little bit of scrapping and, and ultimately uh, the maintenance schedule. And Charles, we'll stay with you. So what are you seeing in terms of the global fleet maintenance schedule right now, which was expected to increase materially in the second half of this year, uh, following really a confluence of events with the you know, heavier delivery schedule uh, five or six years ago, coming up for a five-year special survey, and then some deferrals last year in the stronger rate environment. I think it was adding up for you know a heavy maintenance schedule in the second half of this year. Um, so, Charles, what are you seeing along those lines? Yeah, that that's all. It's all happening, um, and uh, the, you know the shipyards are busy. And then at the same time, you've got the ballast water treatment work, the scrubber work, uh, the retrofit work on top of that, which extends your dry dock period. Um, and then on top of that. You have COVID and quarantine delays, uh, delays in delivery of spare uh, spare parts, uh, supplies to the shipyards because of COVID. 
Um, so, so, and then the ships themselves um, or the shipyards can often get shut due to COVID. <laughs> you know, we've had situations this year where we've had a ship arrive off a shipyard just as the government has shut it because of um, COVID concerns. And then we've had to obviously take the ship somewhere else. So you lose two or three weeks. Uh, and then we've also had ships in a shipyard when the um, government has shut the shipyard due to COVID concerns. And then we've lost a week or so while uh, that, that uh, process is worked through and sorted out and the shipyard gets permission to reopen again. So, I mean, we, we would say that between just looking at our own fleet and time lost um, and delays in shipyards, you know, we're looking at one or 2% delay to the global fleet just from this impact right uh ted anders anything you want to add to that charles covered it perfectly okay that's great all right so uh we'll move right along and um actually along those lines let's skip ahead and talk about uh labor because you kind of touched on it a little bit with with delays uh in the shipyards and we've kind of seen this um across different industries and, and at least from what I've seen, it kind of varies uh, depending on the industry and also within, you know, each vertical within each industry. Um, talking about labor constraints as a result of, of COVID and, and uh, you know, other things. So over the past 18 months and particularly recently, um, what have you guys seen in terms of labor constraints on board and on shore and then specifically in those shipyards you know, how much have labor shortages and constraints contributed to delays and, you know, extended construction timelines? Um, now, Anders, let's, maybe let's start with you uh, talking about the VLGC market. Yes, no, I, I think clearly we have seen, as Charles has said, we've seen, we've seen uh, quite a few, quite a few situations where we had delays, uh, you know, we, uh, of course, we had a retrofit program and although that's been, that's been done fairly pretty much on, on budget and, and schedule, but still there has been, there has been many situations where, you know, we had to really scramble and, 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 and so forth. And of course, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but I just, you know, someone showed me the number of quarantine days we've had in China, you know, uh, just for, for, for people, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And, and, and also, of course, as, as, as we all know, just still, and we still have the problems of, of changing crews. You know, we think, you know, here, certainly in Oslo, you know, the market is, the world's opened up again, and we think, you know, we're back to normal. It's not back to normal in the, in the Philippines or in India or in many other places. And so, so, uh, so this is, uh, you know, our, our crew team here has really been just, the managing team has been, been working day and night to try to find solutions. And, and we, still, we still see that that's, that's our greatest challenge. So, so uh, I, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that we've been, you know, severely hit or certainly not worse than anybody else. But but uh, but the number of days and the number of challenges we've had and, and the number of decisions we've had to make. And, and of course, that also means we, we you know, I really commend, you know, all our seafarers, as, as Ted was saying earlier, they've really been through a, just a, 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 a really tough time. And of course, this this also means that we have to, you know, we have to really find ways to care for our crew and we have to of course it's going to cost us a little extra but that's that's a good investment so so i think overall uh yes we we've we've we felt the pain we're still feeling the pain uh you know we're, we're not out of this yet ted anything you want to add no that that pretty much uh, is is a, exactly our experience um yeah yeah we're not out of the woods yeah, yeah it's, it's going to have a tail because, you know, even if we're, we're vaccinating the seafarers and they are eventually all vaccinated for us, we think that's going to take through till next spring before we've got to a significant 
high level because it's a lot harder to vaccinate the seafarers on the, the routes where our ships trade. But um, even after that, a seafarer will still catch COVID and a port state may still ask the ship to quarantine. So there's going to be a tail to this and it's going to carry on for a while. Right. Okay, that's uh, those are all a uh, great answer. So let's let's t- jump to um, perhaps maybe the most interesting topic of the panel, uh, I think, and that's talking about LPG as a fuel and other types of emission solutions as we kind of look out over the next you know five, 10, 15 years. Um, and specifically on LPG as a fuel, and, and Anders, we'll start with you. Um, I think most LPG owners have you know, pretty much wrapped their arms around using LPG as a fuel for their own ships. And I think that order book that we are talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's almost entirely, if not 100% LPG dual fuel engines. Um, but maybe if we look at outside of the LPG shipping market and look at the prospects for LPG as a fuel, where does it seem to rank versus LNG and other potential longer term alternatives? You know, we could even talk about hydrogen, methanol, ammonia, batteries, etc. What are your thoughts there? Well, the simple answer, it ranks too low. Uh, but uh, but let me fill in a little bit more. Uh, I mean, and also by the way, I think I think we're probably coming to seventy or eighty percent of the of the order book is with with uh, dual fuel. There's still some there's still some conventional uh, fuel ships also. But I mean, LPG, I think, is a great transition fuel. And I think and I think the world is going to wake up to this when we see in the energy crunch we're seeing right now. I think gas has a future, and I think LPG certainly has a future also. I mean, it's it will be available, as we talked about, and it's going to be more available as infrastructure is built out and that's in place. Uh, we can have, uh, you can have uh, S2S transfer. I mean, with, with our colleagues at, the, at the Epic, we're doing, we're doing, uh, we're, we're showing that we can do that already. And, uh, and I think also, you know, the switching is easy. So, so I think, I, I think it is really a potentially a great, a great fuel. Of course, we have to remember that uh, LPG was, uh, was sort of the unwanted child. And, and it's been, uh, and, you know, we're still kind of down on the hierarchy there, you know, quite, quite low. I, uh, I, I can still tell that, you know, when people talk about gas, it's LNG and it's LNG fuels. And, uh, and I'm trying to, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, uh, you know, influence some of these some of these influencers and tell them, you know, they re- you really need to focus on LPG. It really works, and I think we're demonstrating it works. And so, so and when you look at when you look at comparing to, of course, LNG, yes, it's 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 still an alternative. It's not always readily available, and of course, with the, I'm not gonna, I'm, I, we have a, we have a uh, have a, in our your sister companies, we have you know many LNG people, and uh, they will uh, not be happy if I talk too much about the methane slip. But I mean, it's still it's an issue. And, and of course, and we see also that more and more people are focusing on that. So, so I would hope that some of the focus on gas goes from LNG to LPG, because I think LPG really has some benefits that are just, just really, really outstanding. And, but the answer is we have not seen much of it today from other segments. And, 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 and I think it, we have a job to do as an industry. So I think to promote it and to try to really, really find the right for us to, to discuss it and talk about it. And, and I do believe that over time, uh, we, there will, others will see also the benefit of LPG. Of course, for us, as you said, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, an easier decision. And, uh, and, and again, obviously, we, we made the decision not to, not to order new ships because we think it's, you know, it's quite uncertain what will be the next generation of fuels. Will ammonia be the be the next generation or the next solution? Uh, we don't know, but we want we certainly want to make sure that we are 
uh, studying it and, and, and listening to, to what's happening there. But, uh, but again, uh, my answer is that it, it ought to be higher up on the list in many places. Ted, anything you want to add there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a uh, couple a couple things I'd point out. Um, you know, we, we obviously share uh, a lot of what Andre says about LPG as a fuel and its environmental properties. I think probably one uh, one of the challenges for, uh, for 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 broader adoption uh, is aside from the fact that we are the unwanted uh, stepchild, as as Anders rightly said. Um, you know, there are there there are a you know, there are, there are 110 BLGC capable ports in the world or thereabouts, maybe a few more. And probably, I know a lot more in, 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 in Charles's size sector, but, you know, if, if ships aren't going, I mean, for example, we were just talking about Long Beach. Um, there's really no, you'd have to build a lot of infrastructure and the environmental lobby would be really unhappy if you were to start building additional LPG bunkering facilities in California. So that's something we will have to address as an industry to see broader uptake across sectors. Um, I think some of the other technologies that are out there are really fascinating. Um, before we even get into alternative sources of propulsion, like you know, methane, ammonia, and all those good things, um, there's some really nice things out there that are really supplementary, regardless. And so, uh, you know, batteries are interesting. We've got to see where that goes. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of questions, but a lot of work being done in the sector. Um, I think uh, all of us are investing a lot more in systems to uh, improve you know, just, just the overall efficiency of our fleet. So, you know, our, our vessels actually puke out a lot of data and we're actually capturing it all now and, um, you know, able to make some more uh, timely operating decisions about hull cleaning, propeller cleaning and all that kind of stuff. Advances in paints. I mean, there's some fairly pedestrian stuff that's actually adding a lot to overall fuel efficiency. Um, but I think LPG should have a, a more prominent place. Yeah, we're talking our own book because um, right now, there is almost zero uh, uh, LPG bunkering activity, but it, would, it could grow our global seaborne market um, not inconsequentially if you kind of work through the math. So, love to see it. Yeah. And Charles, how about for uh, smaller class vessels? What are you seeing there? Yeah, but I mean, I would say that um, any future fuel is going to require massive investment in its infrastructure for supply and delivery. Doesn't matter what it is, it's going to require massive investment. So, and I think LPG is already here, it's already with us. And it can already be delivered to a ship anywhere in the world because one of our ships can do that. Uh, and we've got 70 of them on the water. We're doing on average one ship to ship operation every day of the year already. So it's not a, a, a unique or unusual operation. We can do ship to ship operations very simply, very easily. Um, and um, we can see that there's an easy path to supply LPG to many more ships in many more parts of the world. So you know, we can do that. When it comes to uh, the adoption by the smaller ships, um, as, as, as the larger ships now, the majority of the new orders being placed today are dual fuel on the smaller ships. There is a legacy order book with um, uh, traditional fuels and so on, and uh, it will be dual fuel, uh, dual fuel LPG. Um, so there will be further growth in the use of LPG as a fuel within our sector. And it is a no-brainer for us because we're loading in LPG ports or discharging in LPG ports. Mm. And the cargo tank actually becomes an optional um, uh, fuel tank and the fuel tank becomes an optional cargo tank. Um, you do have that arbitrage you can play, um, which is of interest to customers sometimes as well as to the ship owner. Right. Well, on the other side of the coin, if we talk about scrubbers and, and Ted, I think you alluded to it. So we'll start with you. Um, 
and it's kind of a two-pronged question, you know, asking about your vessels that currently have scrubbers and uh, your vessels that do not currently have scrubbers. And for the other panelists, your vessels that do not have scrubbers. Um, what are you seeing on fuel spreads right now? And, you know, what, what are your updated expectations on your payback period for that investment after, you know, what has been a pretty complicated and volatile 2020? So that's, that's one. And then two, for your vessels without scrubbers, what was the ultimate determining factor in that decision? You know, if we, if we take a walk down memory lane um, and if you could go back in time, would you do anything differently in, you know, 2018, 2019, when this was uh, the only thing to talk about? <laughs> um, so uh, on the first point, uh, we're seeing about $100 a metric ton spread, um, VLSFO versus, versus HSFO. Uh, the forward spreads are like that. So basis that we'd expect to see uh, about a two and a half year payback. And that's from the date of installation, not from today. Uh, so obviously, you know, the, the regs kicked in 1120 and the spreads were this wide and then COVID kicked in and the spreads went to nothing. Um, so from, you know, from our perspective, we're happy with the investment. Uh, very happy with the investment, quite honestly. Um, look, we, we did a lot of uh, thinking and debating and you know, probably too much math and modeling when it came down to it on the whole decision. Uh, and then we finally said, you know what, we just got to do a hedge. So our crude hedge was, you know, it, it could have been 11, it could have been 12. We did 12 ships, which was, you know, a little more than uh, half our fleet. So um, was it, you know, was it, uh, you know, a, a, a brilliant, super quantitative hedging strategy? Well, sort of in its own weird way. But, um, you know, we, we said that was good. And I think, um, I'm not sure I'd go back and change anything, notwithstanding the good results we've had, because we don't know what's around the corner. Um, we know LPG is a thing. And, you know, at the, at the time that we were making the decision, we consciously kept ships free because um, of the potential for LPG retrofits. And um, I don't think we changed that. Um, you know, I think one important thing in shipping is maintaining optionality. And so whether that's on your balance sheet or in your operations or in your technology investments, uh, I think it, I think it's important. So uh, probably wouldn't change anything. Great. Anders, over to you. Can you walk us through uh, your decision-making process with that over the last, you know, call it three years? Yes. I mean, I think, uh, you know, again, as, as Ted says, it's, uh, it's, uh, you, you, you try to sort of take a balanced approach. You don't want to go, you know, all in, uh, you know, one way or the other. And, and I think the discussion we had, we said, you know, that again, we will, we will look at some scrubbers. We'll we start, of course, to work with the LPG, you know, technology or the dual fuel technology, and then and spend quite a resource on that. I think, and you know, starting making decisions on a few, and then we we sort of like the like the both the financial prospects was also looking at you know the the requirements coming from IMO and others that uh, this is something we should do, and. And obviously, there were times when the spreads were more, much more in our favor, and then we had we had great paybacks of, of you know uh, uh, three, four, five years. Um, that's not the case today when you look at the spreads. Obviously, I think we have a an abnormal uh, abnormal spread between LPG and and, and the underlying uh, uh, conventional fuels, uh, and so the forward curve still pointing to you know that we should get you know a, a nice premium you know in the next few years, but uh, but. Uh, you know, I've uh, lived long enough, and I think you know you, you make decisions and and uh, and you you live with those. And and I think I think you know as an organization we're quite happy. We think also we're you know we're developing some great skills. 
for you know understanding you know how how this is working and uh, and and although we don't know what the future is going to bring we think at least lpg has you know has a good runway as a fuel and so we think we're building some competence that is very very valuable for our organization okay and charles how has uh BWEC navigated those decisions over the past few years yeah, I mean, it's a very, very different uh, mathematical uh, spreadsheet. Um, the smaller ships, they burn less fuel. Uh, so you've got less of uh, the, the sort of the, the maths, if you like, uh, in order to the, the volume of the fuel to make the, the math add up to cover the cost of the scrubber. We're also at sea less time. Um, we're in port about half of the time in, on average because uh, we're carrying product over shorter distances. You know, we'd be in port every six days on average, whereas a bigger ship will be every 24 days. So not only do our ships burn less fuel every day, but they spend less days at sea burning that fuel. So you, you end up with a payback period, which will say, say you define it as five years, you need over $200 differential in the pricing, even on our largest ship. Uh, and then also, if you then wind back to what was 2020, that was the global rollout of low sulfur. Most of our ships trade on the coast intra regions, and we were already trading a lot of the ships in environments where there were already pre um, 2020 low sulfur requirements. A lot of our ships were already on low sulfur. <laughs> so uh, it, it was a, it's a very different calculation to make. When we look at new builds now uh, and you fit the equipment in a shipyard on a new ship, completely different math. It could add up. It probably should happen. Right. Okay. Uh, well, we're, we're winding down here, but we still have a few minutes left. So I want to give all of our panelists uh, a chance to give some closing remarks. So, you know, anything we didn't cover, anything you want our audience to take away from this call, um, take a minute or so, uh, honors, we can, we can begin with you and then go Ted and Charles. Um, closing remarks, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Thank you. I mean, I, I think we covered some of the key, the key, key issues facing us. I think we, you know, we 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 have an order book that we need to we need to address. We need we have a product that we think is great. It's great for it's great for 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 many places. We haven't talked much about that, but uh, you know, again, LPG as a, as a, as a fuel and as a, we 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 invest quite heavily in India at the moment. We see the benefits to you know countries like that. So and again, I think in so I the point I would like to leave with uh, is that. Uh, in, and especially in the situation we see in the world right now, gas, I think, has a, a meaningful place for a long time. And I think, you know, as LPG, uh, you know, uh, ship owners and operators, I think we, we, we also we have an important role to play. And I'm uh, and I'm happy that uh, that, you know, there's more of us that can can uh, make sure that this uh, this happens. OK, Ted. Um, yeah, I think I'd, um, I'd echo uh, Anders uh, heavily. Look. Uh, LPG is a product. Uh, I think we all are, you know, very proud of our company, so we won't go into that. But I do think we're all very proud of the product we ship. Uh, LPG, I don't think, gets quite enough credit for its uh, for being a bridge fuel. Uh, everybody knows that we're we're working hard towards a carbon-free or a net carbon-zero future. Uh, LPG is a big part of that. Um, you know, when you look at more importantly the the sustainability and social piece that uh, LPG is contributing to. I don't know how many lives have been saved or lengthened by people converting from burning biomass to burning uh, to, to, to com uh, consuming LPG. Their quality of life's improved. Um, it's a great product, and so you know, 55% of world LPG goes into heating and cooking. That demand doesn't go away. We've seen steady growth. Is we've seen population growth. Uh, you know, sort of support that. Uh, yeah, we use, we lose a little bit to LNG um, uh, over time, but nonetheless, it's a phenomenal product that um, has really changed lives. And 
should continue to grow. And so therefore that sets up, sets up very well for all of our businesses. So, uh, uh, you know, we think LPG should have a prominent space in any discussion about um, getting to zero. And, um, you know, we hope that uh, others will see it that way too. Great, great. Charles? Yeah, I mean, Ted mentioned 55%, and uh, actually 55% of what we actually carry on our fleet is LPG for developing economies for heating and cooking. So uh, you know, we've, we've got the metric. And um, I think with you know, modest uh, fleet growth, about 1% in our sector, um, demand growth of 5% for LPG um, over the next few years each year, uh, we would expect a improving freight market environment. Uh, it's an exciting time. It's a volatile time, but it's an exciting time. And uh, I, I agree, cleaner energy, it's, we have a future. Okay, awesome. Well, I think that's about all the time we have for today. So uh, I'd like to thank our, our panelists for their time, our, our audience for joining us, and a special thank you to uh, Nicholas Pornosis and the Capital Link team for putting this all together um, and, and having me on as a moderator, quite frankly, very thankful. Um, and, uh, I'm sure putting this event together in the new virtual world was, was no small feat. So, um, thank you all very much. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, you can reach me via email at greg.wasikowski at weberresearch.com. You can also visit our website at weberresearch.com for more info on what it is that we do and some additional contact information. Uh, so I hope I hope everyone has a nice rest of their day, and uh, I think I'll, I'll kick it back to Nicholas. Thank you again. Well, all I want to say is thank you very much. It's a great panel, and frankly, I, I'm delighted that we have such a high power panel, uh, as evidenced by the great attendance we had, because it is very important to highlight the expanding role of LPG uh, as a cargo and as a propulsion fuel. So it's really wonderful that um, this panel did exactly that. So thank you very much. And thank you, Greg, for, uh, uh, for moderating. And uh, we look forward to the next one. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you all. <laughs>